you. First of all, let me say what an honor and incredible privilege this is to be here at FCC. My wife and I have been residents here of uh, here in South Jersey uh, a little over two years now. Just has been a rich experience. And I'm doing pulpit supply for a couple of Chinese churches in North Jersey and in New York City's Chinatown still. So I'm only able to be in attendance about once a month here at FCC. But my wife and I are calling FCC uh, our home church. Now, you may be asking already. I know some of you out there are saying, where's this guy from? He's got that accent. And I usually like to tell people, Middlesex County, Central New Jersey. But you, of course, don't believe that. It's a Shreveport, Louisiana accent. Uh, but I've been away and been here in the Northeast longer than I have served in my own home state. But uh, I want to tell you, Pastor Mark has been such a dear friend. He's been an encourager to me. And as I stand in this very special place, I, I am humbled and filled with gratitude that just surpasses all understanding uh, because this is a special place uh, for uh, Linda and I. Well, as Pastor Mark has, has uh, uh, shared some words about the sermon series we're in, we've already taken a look at uh, two of the uh, statements that uh, uh, both uh, Pastor Mike and Pastor Mark have preached from. Uh, the first week we started this was what I like to call a prayer of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, and then last week, Pastor Mark shared what I like to call a word of salvation. Today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. Well, this morning, as we look at Jesus' third statement on the cross, I want us to be encouraged today with a word of affection. The words that we're going to read here shortly in, in uh, John's gospel are, are words of, of poignancy. Uh, they're words of affection. Uh, they're words that reach deep down into the soul. You know, there are three primary res uh, relationships that you and I have in this life as we traverse the earth. First of all is our relationship with Christ himself. That's the most important relationship. And secondly, there is the relationship with our family, our home. Uh, doing life at home is so important. Thirdly, there's a relationship with our church. You and I are related to one another uh, and doing life together as a body of believers in this place called Fellowship Christian Church here in Mount Laurel. So this morning as we do church together through technology, I just want to give you a word of encouragement. And it all comes from this passage in John chapter 19. And the word of comfort that Jesus spoke to his mom, along with a commandment that he spoke to the only remaining disciple that was caring for him at the cross of Christ. In your Bibles, if you have your Bibles there at home, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but whatever version you'd like to read, just pick it up. We're going to turn to John chapter 19. I'm going to read only three short verses today. John chapter 19, starting with verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his, he said to his mother, woman, 
Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Pause with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, these are indeed powerful words. Lord, we are humbled today. And we are standing in a place as we look towards Resurrection Day where 2,000 years ago there, were, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of disappointment, discouragement, and fear. So Lord, help us to approach Scripture today as ones who are hungry to receive a word of encouragement and, and a fresh anointing from your Spirit. For, Lord, we come as hungry beggars, and we confess to you that we need you to minister to us in this day, in this hour. Thank you, Lord, for speaking truth from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, in this study of Christ's third saying on the cross, I see some encouraging truths for our church, our homes, and our personal obedience to Jesus Christ. First of all, number one, there is an encouragement for our church. And I'm thinking of uh, specifically Fellowship Christian Church, FCC. I see women caring for Christ at the cross. Look here in verse 25. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, in my study over the last several weeks, I have run across scholars who said there were three women there. I've read others who said there were four women there. Uh, I b- kind of believe personally that there were probably four women there. There was Mary, who is, of course, Jesus' mother. Uh, there was uh, his mother's sister, who I'm pretty sure is Salome the mother of James and John. There was Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. But can you believe, standing there at the foot of the cross, five people, four of them were women. 80% of those who courageously cared for Christ at the foot of the cross were women, not men. 80%. Uh, If you think there's only three women, that'd be 75%. But still, the odds are that the women were there supporting and caring for Christ. Where were the men? They were AWOL. Ladies of FCC, I want you to be encouraged today because, ladies, you are the strength and the backbone of FCC. Yeah, I know. Us men, you see, we like to take the spotlight and lots of times we get uh, the glory for the work that's done. But trust me, trust me when I say this, that even though us men like to take the glory, we know that you're back there, you're serving, you're probably doing as much of the work, if not more, than we are. But you you say, Pastor Mike, you only see me on Sundays. The rest of the week, my my home's kind of a wreck. Uh, My marriage has some ups and downs. My kids are acting up. Uh, Pastor Mike, you say, I'm a failure. Uh, All I do is try to take care of the kids and be a good wife. But there are days I just feel like I am a failure. Listen to me, church, today. Listen. Uh, 
Look at these four women caring for Christ here at the, at, at the foot of the cross. First was Mary, uh, the, the mother of Jesus. She is known for her parenting. In our text, she simply called Jesus mother. That's how she's known. Now, I bet some of you ladies here at FCC can identify with her. Someone will come up to you at church and say, Hey, aren't you Julie's mom? Or aren't you Joey's mom? You know, your life has been so dedicated to caring for the children that sometimes you think your only thing you're known for is being a mom to however many kids you have. You know, you'd like to get more involved and sometimes you feel guilty that you can't do more. Trust me, I know being a mom is hard. One of the things that my wife and I have noticed about FCC is you have a phenomenal women's ministry. Now, I'm spending a lot of time today trying to encourage the women, but I do know this for a fact. You've got a great discipleship program for men. I love what you're doing with the the iron uh, development here for for the men. This is great, great stuff. But ladies, I want you to be encouraged today because... Because sometimes we mistakenly overlook you and overlook all that you're doing. And you might say, well, uh, when I say that your presence means so much and you are the backbone and strength of FCC, you say, no, that can't be. I'm just trying to be a good mom. And frankly, I don't feel like I'm the best kind of mom. Sometimes I feel like I failed as a mother. Well, let me remind you of Mary, Jesus' mother. Mary lost her son for three days when at the age of 12, they took, uh, Joseph and Mary took him to the temple and they ran off and forgot him. Three days they were, it took them to find Jesus. Now, how is that for a mom? And, and some of you are probably saying, good grief, I almost left my kid in Wegmans one day. Well, that's not nearly as bad as Mary and Joseph leaving Jesus in the temple. Mary lived her life in poverty in all likelihood. At some point in time, which scriptures don't say, we, we, we have a feeling, we kind of know that uh, somewhere between Jesus was 12 and when he appears at the age of 30, Joseph passed away. Mary was a single mom for some point raising other kids. Uh, it was tough. She, she had a tough life. Mary's son now was, was being crucified. I mean, how would you say, what would you think about yourself seeing your son being arrested and tried and falsely accused of something and now he's being tortured and killed? Nevertheless, Here's Mary's mom. She's at the foot of the cross caring for Jesus. Look at Salome, the second lady I want to talk about today. She is known for her passion, her passionate ambition. Now, this, she's unnamed, of course, but you got to know her as the mother of James and John. And I hope you remember her story. She was in that great company of women who followed Jesus and the disciples. They kind of hung back, but there were always a number of women there. And do you remember the day? It's found in Matthew chapter 20 verse 20 where Salome works she along with her sons James and John works her way up uh, through the crowd and comes up alongside Jesus and as the scripture says here 
the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Some of you are a lot like Salome. You know how to worship. When you come to FCC, you really get into worship and love lifting up the name of Jesus. And then you want to ask him for something. Oh, Jesus, would you make my son the captain of the football team? Would you make Julie, my daughter, the the captain of the the debate team? Uh, Would you do this for my my kids? I'm going to go to church and I'm going to worship you and, and, and love you and I just need you to do something for me. Yes, in every church I've been in, there's always some Salomis. Yes, there's no doubt here Uh, a word for us. For you see, her passionate ambition for her kids came to a crashing halt as Jesus was arrested and tried and beaten. Her passionate ambition was dashed, destroyed, and demolished as she stood there at the foot of the cross. Can't you imagine her sheer disappointment, her disillusionment? And no doubt, there are some of you who are Salome's who are here today. Your career never took off despite your well-thought-out, well-planned-out goals and ambitions. Your marriage hasn't been all that you thought it might be cracked up to be. Your kids have brought disappointment. Your husband has not achieved all that you'd hoped. And, And deep in your heart this morning, you're crying out, Oh, Lord, is this all there is? My friends, if you're a Salome, it may look bleak now. But let me tell you, Easter Sunday is coming. And and whatever you might say about Salome, she was another one who was at the cross there caring for Christ. Then there's Mary, the wife of Clopas. She's known for her partner. Some of your translations may say Cleophas. Um, By the way, his name, I I was told, means dignitary. So apparently he was a big shot in the community. We don't know hardly anything about Mary except she was the the wife of Cleopas. Uh, She's known because of her husband. Yet on this day, Cleopas is nowhere to be found. Where are the men? Gone AWOL. Yeah, if you're like Mary, the wife of Cleopas, you may be in the shadow of your husband's prominence. But when it comes to value and worth, you have your own identity. You need to know that because of the risen Christ, he has gifted you and anointed you. He wants to use you. Today, you might be here, but your husband is not. Maybe your husband has not come for period of weeks or months but you keep coming you're serving and 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 I want you to know that you that that we are deeply grateful for that for you are indeed a strength and part of the backbone of FCC but where are the guys where is Cleophas well Probably Cleopas is a lot like most guys on Sunday mornings. They're paying the bills, fixing the faucets, cutting the grass, whatever. You know, you know what guys do on Sunday mornings. Just listen, dear friend. Just know that God loves you and he wants you to keep on keeping on. And and finally, there's Mary of Magdala. Mary Magdalene, as we 
know her from scripture. She's known for her past. She was a woman with a checkered past. She's the demoniac from uh, who Jesus cast seven demons out of. Now, she's not known for a husband or any children, but simply as the crazy lady from Magdala. Now, it could be that you come to church today and you don't want people or any of your friends to know much about your past. Maybe you come with baggage, a checkered past yourself with maybe divorce or some amount of addictions or, or some kind of hang-ups in your own life. Maybe there was something you did in the past that you just feel enormous guilt for and you don't want others to know what that is. But never forget, never forget what counts is not where you've been, but who and where you are today. I served for a number of years with a church in New York City called Graffiti Church, where I was minister of encouragement. Uh, I, in my work over the years in New York City, I had involvement with graffiti going back to 1986. But there's a lady who is a member at uh, Graffiti whose funeral I was at just a week and a half ago, 94-year-old Adele. Adele uh, lives in, uh, lived in Alphabet City, lower east side of Manhattan, uh, in, uh, not far from the, the, the Tompkins Square Park. Let me tell you about Adele. Adele was one who had a checkered past. Well, most of the folks who are members of Graffiti Church uh, have a checkered past of sort. Um, and if you'd like to know something about what it's like, those of you who have been to Collingswood, have served at Collingswood, have ministered at Collingswood, if you love Collingswood, you'd love graffiti. Now, Back in the 70s, the neighborhood there, uh, Alphabet City, was so dangerous that um, the taxi cabs refused to take fares into uh, that neighborhood. It was dangerous. There was drug addicts, homelessness. Uh, gangs would set up in abandoned building uh, as, their, as their place. Uh, it was just a horrible place to live. Adele has been there for years and years and years. In 1976, Southern Baptists chose to go into Alphabet City and plant a ministry center. And uh, Pastor Bruce Schoonmaker came up from Alabama to begin laying the groundwork for a ministry and hopefully a church. He was a church planter. And he worked, he was, his life was threatened, uh, he was, it was, it was just a challenging time for Bruce. The first time that he set up a Bible study, he advertised in the neighborhood, there was only one person that showed up, Adele. For several weeks, he would have a Bible study, hoping that people from the community would come. The only person who came was Adele. But let me tell you what happened. Gradually, uh, Bruce began winning relationships, and a church was started. And in 1986, we formally established it as a church. And uh, now, the graffiti ministry has not only uh, has eight graffitis throughout New York City, and uh, as far down as Baltimore, as far west as Buffalo, but it has helped plant and help start and support over a hundred other congregations in New York City. Now, what if Adele 
had not even cared or showed up. I believe that one of the reasons Graffiti Church is in the Lower East Side because a woman with a checkered past kept showing up for Bible study and she was the only person. There may be some Adele's. They may be some Mary Magdalene's right here at FCC. That is great. Let me tell you, if I had a church made up of 75 or 80% of Mary Magdalene's, I believe we could turn the world upside down. The second thing that I want to share with you today is another word of encouragement about a word for our homes, an encouragement for our homes. I see Christ caring for his mother to the very end. Look here in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, behold your son. As Jesus hung on the cross, he turned his attention to his mom who had loved and cared for him. He first spoke a, a word of comfort to Mary, and then he gave his, his, uh, his BFF disciple, John, a commandment. Now, we wouldn't understand at first reading the significance of these words, but in Jewish thought, the instructions of a dying man were of the same sort as they were written on a piece of paper, as if they were on a piece of paper. So when Jesus cried out, Dear woman, behold your son, it's as if Jesus were writing his own last will and testament and executing it right there. Jesus was saying to his, his mother, Mom, look, I'm leaving you now. And I'm, going, I'm not going to be able to take care of you from here on. But Mom, you see John over there? John's my BFF. John will be to you as I was to you. He will be the son you need. John, do you see my mom over here? Take care of her. Do for her what I would do if I were still alive. Wow. Powerful words. You ask, why in the midst of all this agony and hurt and pain would Jesus even say something like this? Well, folks, it's because even though he's dying in this terrible, agonizing, torturous death on the cross... He is fulfilling the most basic responsibility and the most sacred obligation that any son ever had. He is making sure that his mother is cared for. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself understood that family is of supreme importance. I'm so grateful that here at FCC... We're a church that believes in family. And we do things to encourage families to be strong. Let me tell you, we live in a crazy, chaotic world where the enemy is at work trying to bust up families. If the enemy can be successful in busting up a, a godly Christian family, he's won a great victory. I'm glad that FCC is a church on mission, building and developing and discipling families. Family is of supreme Important. You know, there might be some here who would say, uh, you know, I'm just too busy working and doing stuff to try to provide for my family. You know, I've got to get stuff. I've got to make a living. I've got to make money. You know, after I make a certain amount of money and after I get to a certain position, then I'm going to spend time with my family. Listen, folks. 
We must never lose sight of the cross and how Christ himself to the very end was doing all he could to take care of his mother and his family. In the 17th century, there was a great Puritan pastor in England, uh, William Grinnell, who wrote these, these very convicting words. He said, can he be a good Christian that spends all his religion abroad and leaves none for his nearest relations at home? I believe he's on to something. And I don't think you can be a good Christian if you ignore your family. Secondly, you're never too old to honor your father and your mother. Listen to me. Jesus said these words. Dear woman, there's that beautiful, you know, we, we read the words woman in some of our uh, text and we think, well, that just seems kind of crude. But in the, in the uh, original language, in the Aramaic, this was a term of endearment. And he's saying, dear woman, behold your son. Now, now Jesus is now 33. He ter- he, he's, he's basically turning his mother's attention away from himself to his uh, his, his, his disciple John, the only disciple that was re- remaining there at the cross. And he's saying, Mom, here's the guy who's going to take care of you. You know, Jesus was honoring the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. One of the saddest experiences in ministry of my life was doing the funeral for a man who had come to be a part of our church in Edison, New Jersey. Uh, Mr. Kemp, uh, Walter Kemp, came, he, 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 had his, his, uh, he came into our church about a year and a half after his beloved Ruth passed away. He was a man in deep mourning, in deep grief. He was about 75 years of age, had worked all his life, but his kids had just kind of didn't pay any attention to him. He was mourning the loss of Ruth. And um, every Sunday he was there. And he was kind of tough to be around. He was kind of crude in some ways. And he wasn't taking, him, taking care of himself as he used to. So he kind of put out some of those, you know, bodily aromas that uh, kind of keep you at a distance. But he loved Jesus. And I would, when he, his health started failing him, I would go over to his house. And every visit he'd wind up and say, no, Pastor Mike, Take this, take this back to the church. He'd give me a wad of cash. That was his tithe. He loved his church. And upon his death, uh, we gathered at the funeral home for the funeral. And a number of church members came because they all loved and cared for Mr. Kemp. There were one or two family members that were there because I'd heard since his passing, the kids had gone in and uh, were at odds with one another and fighting with one another and and taking what they could. We drove, myself and the funeral director drove up to Kenilworth, New Jersey for the, the burial. We got there and we, I looked around, there were no other cars there. No one had come with us. None of his family members. None of his children. None of his, his in-laws. It was just the funeral director and myself and two cemetery attendants. So I said, well, let's just send Mr. Kemp off 
in a good way. And we had a full burial and committal right there. And thank the Lord for the life of Walter Kim. But if I had a chance to say and look into the eyes of those kids of his, I'd scold them and say, what you have done to your dad is wrong. If you're a millennial here and you have uh, moms and dads who are getting up on uh, getting up in age, care for them, honor them. Children, uh, teenagers, it's a great time now to start really uh, honoring your father and your mother. And finally, I'm going to close by showing you this. As hopefully our church has been encouraged today by the example of these women at the cross. And prayerfully, we've been encouraged to care for our homes and families. Now, now we some encouragement for our own personal obedience. Verse 27. Then he said to the disciple, John, behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. I see John obeying Christ's command here. Jesus says to John, the writer of, of this gospel, he says, behold your mother. Now, Nassane was, was John's mother, but Christ was commanding John to take Mary as his own mother and take care of her. I want to remind you of three very important truths about personal obedience. And I want to challenge you to think about this. Take a look at this, this verse 27. Three quick things and I'll close. Obedience is always effectual. It says, and from that hour, he took her. Now, now don't be scared and don't try to run away from that word effectual. Uh, You know, effectual is not just a fancy preacher word. You know, that's a word you hear only preachers. Yeah, when Pastor Mark and I get together, we use words like effectual. We use words like dispensation and textual criticism. We built our friendship on those, on vocabulary of that. So, you know, we don't. Trust me, we don't use those. But effectual is a great word. It basically means producing or capable of producing an intended effect or action, valid or binding as an agreement or in a document. See, what it means is this, that he's going to do it immediately. There will be an act, once the command is given, an action will follow. Now, Jesus gave this command for John to take care of his mom. What was John's response? Did he say, oh, well, let me, uh, let me pray about that. You know, taking someone into your home, a, a, a family, as a family member, it's hard. He, he didn't say, okay, Lord, uh, but, but let me get the help from some other disciples and we'll do it together. No, Jesus didn't ask the other disciples to do it. His response was, from that particular hour, he took her, he received her into his home. Secondly, obedience is very personal. And from that hour, that, circle that word that, or the, in some translations, it's the disciple. From that hour, that disciple took her. That particular BFF disciple received Mary into his home. He obeyed. It was no concern to John. He simply obeyed. Thirdly, obedience is often sacrificial. 
that disciple took her unto his own home. Now, trust me, folks, when I say that it is hard to receive a person that is not your blood relative and bring them and make them part of your family. That is hard. That will take a toll uh, upon you. You know, when my wife and I were pastoring in Edison, we resigned in 2013 to move back to the New Orleans area to receive a young lady into our home. Uh, Quell had been, uh, was raised in, in, a, in, a, in a, uh, the central part of New Orleans. She was a part of a gang as a teenager. Uh, at the, and she, her, her dad was killed in gun violence before she was two years of age. Her mom was a crack addict. The girl was raised by a grandmother and some aunties, and uh, she was shot when she was 17 trying to get out of gang activity. She took three bullets, and she's paralyzed from the waist down even now. But when we met her in 2012, God seemed to tell us, receive her into your home. Let me tell you, that did a number on our family. I did not realize how hard that is. It was hard. Now, I'm ta not talking about financially. I'm talking about other stuff. It's hard. It, it, I've got uh, uh, bruise marks and battle scars from, from that decision. But trust me, it is all worth it. Today, Quail is in, in uh, a Bible college in New Orleans. And she's studying. And she wants to, to she's shared her story all over the world. She's been on seven mission trips. She's been to Africa and uh, sailed down the Amazon telling her story. She's got a remarkable story. And this summer, she'll be up here in New Jersey to visit with us. And hope some of you can meet her. But when I read this and, and saw that John obeyed and took her into his home, I knew firsthand what kind of sacrifice that must have been for John. Obedience is often sacrificial. We're in the middle now of this coronavirus deal going on. And as I alluded earlier, I work with, do pulpit supply for a couple of Chinese churches. And I've had a close relationship with, with Chinese churches in the New York City area for many, many years. I've made three trips to mainland China. One of the things I've discovered in doing some um, study, do you know that in the world, that two of the fastest growing underground churches in the world are in Iran and in mainland China? Both places, the churches are in a house church model. And most of the leadership is by women. Do you hear me that? Women. I, I've been to a church in, in, in China, uh, and they were baptizing uh, 25 this particular Sunday, led but pre predominantly by women. But in Wuhan, you know that there was... Uh, this virus that we're dealing with was given birth, basically. We don't know how. It just happened. We don't know. But um, uh, there in Wuhan, the Chinese believers, uh, rather than running into their, their houses, those in the church in Wuhan were, were out sacrificially serving the city and serving the sick and carrying food, giving out masks. The Christians in Wuhan are demonstrating what it means to be on mission in the midst of of a crisis. 
During all that, it was discovered, uh, we learned about Dr. Lee Win Liang. Dr. Lee uh, was the, one of the first doctors who tried to raise the world's attention about this virus. And the government tried to shut him down. They tried to arrest him. What we didn't know, maybe what you did not know up until now, is that Dr. Lee was a very committed Christian, a follower of Christ. And when uh, he became infected with the disease, of course, his wife became infected infected, and his son and um, Dr. Lee uh, continued to serve. He says, I've got patients I need to see. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Uh, God needs to get the glory in all this. And Dr. Lee just continued to serve and serve and serve. Before he died, he wrote a poem, a statement. And I wanted to share these words with you in closing. Uh, these come from his pen, uh, these words. And, and listen very carefully. I don't have them on the screen, but uh, these are the words. He says, goodbye, my dear ones. Farewell, Wuhan, my hometown. Hopefully after the disaster, you'll remember someone once tried to let you know the truth as soon as possible. Hopefully, after the disaster, you'll learn what it means to be righteous. No more good people should suffer from endless fear and helpless sadness and loss. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Today, let me ask you a question. What is it that God has said to you this morning? How are you going to obey God today? Do you need to forgive someone for, for a wrong? Do you need to go uh, sacrificially serve uh, some, and, and take care of some need? Or maybe it's, it's the relationship with Christ that you desperately need to grab hold of today. God may be saying, friend, it's time to lay down your pride and trust me. As we stand with these women today at the cross along with John, his BFF. May you and I, may we be found faithful in what God is calling us to do this Easter season. Let's pray. God, I am challenged today to be obedient and to be faithful in the midst of a climate of fear. Oh, Father, give us the grace that we need to serve and to be on mission even when the odds may be stacked against us. Help us, Lord, to be like those women at the cross. Mary and Salome and uh, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. God, just cause us to be more like your son Jesus today. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.